0: Welcome to episode number 138, Faith Crisis. Now, for those who listen weekly, you will note that I have deviated again from my original topic, Helping Youth with Emotional Difficulties. Now, I will continue that topic next week uh, in the form of relationships. Now, before I get anywhere close to this topic, I want to recognize that I do understand just how sensitive a faith crisis is for many people. I recognize both the difficulty and the significance For many individuals, a faith crisis will be one of the most trying and deeply troubling experiences they will face in this life. Often our faith is at the core of who we are as individuals, and to struggle with the very truths that define us as individuals and as communities is an earth-shaking and shattering experience. There exist many reasons why a faith crisis might occur in our lives. Mental illness is certainly one of those pathways, and a common pathway. What is most interesting and at the same time cruel about mental illness is its unique ability to both cause and complicate a faith crisis. Today we are going to discuss a faith crisis from the perspective of mental health. Now there are three rules about mental illness and faith crisis that I want you to remember and that are very important. The first is if you have a mental illness, even one that is more temporary, you will have a faith crisis. Mental illness and faith crisis go hand in hand because of the emotional nature of the illness and its ability to interrupt the spiritual emotional processes. Two, if you have a longer term mental illness or condition, you will have many crises of faith. For every episode, there will be some level of a faith crisis, and so you will experience this testing of faith regularly. And third, there is nothing wrong with a faith crisis. When mental illness is involved, we need to move past the idea that somehow a crisis of faith is really anything more than a symptom of the illness, rather than a collapse of our testimony and spirituality. A crisis of faith brought about by mental illness does not diminish our testimony of the gospel or our spiritual nature, but it does limit our access to past spiritual feelings and experiences. That actually represent a large portion of our testimony when mental illnesses alter our emotional system it blocks the spiritual signals telling us that our testimony is still intact our testimony has not changed just our ability to feel it and so we come to a crisis of faith not because we do not have a testimony or have not had spiritual experiences with the gospel but because we cannot through the illness, feel so now, as Alma so plainly taught in his sermon. For us to maintain our testimony, we have to be able to have access, clear access, to our past spiritual feelings and experiences. We have to be able to feel what we know and have experienced without serious limitations, such as a mental illness would bring to bear. Now, this last week, I read an article of a woman who grew up in the church, in quotes, this last week, and who was passing through what she termed a crisis of faith. Her backstory was full of her reasons why her crisis had taken place, and she enumerated several concerns as to why she had left the faith. The article progressed to state how free she now felt, and that by casting off her faith, she could now be happy. Now I intended to fully discuss her background concerns, but I am not so certain that all of those matter as much as the article would have implied. The one concern that was important was that she had bipolar and other mental illness issues and symptoms. Everyone has background concerns, otherwise they would never leave the faith. And everyone's concerns differ, but in some ways all of the concerns are the same. As much as the reasons differ by person. In some ways they actually don't. Now, I'm not implying that her reasons were not important. Reasons matter very much. Reasons matter a great deal to the person. But for the most part, reasons are built to keep prying eyes out of our internal struggle. Society won't let us be unless we have reasons for our struggles. And those reasons must have good logic, sound logic, and be understandable. Sadly, in our society, And in the church, mental illness is not always a logical reason or even one that others would accept, even ourselves. So we build our reasoned walls for two purposes. The first I already mentioned. We build reasoned walls to keep others from consistently questioning why we are having a faith crisis, why we aren't happy, why we are struggling at church, and to really keep them at arm's length and out of our emotional struggle. Second, we build reasons for our own consciousness and peace of mind. When we emotionally struggle, struggle deeply, our mind needs reasons for what we are feeling. And providing those reasons to the mind is incredibly important in keeping the emotional struggle tamed. So important that it does not matter to the mind if our reasoning isn't entirely sound, true, or accurate. Mental illness is going to give us those terrible, depressed, anxious feelings that are not compatible with the emotions of the Spirit of the Lord and that overcome often those emotions of the Spirit of the Lord. When this happens, our mind searches for any peace it can find. It needs reasoning for those negative emotions. It needs the cause and effect. It needs to understand the why. And I admit that Knowing I have a mental illness is not likely going to entirely satisfy the why. Yes, even if you have a diagnosed mental illness and can point the brain to your diagnosis as the reasons for how you feel, it will likely still not be enough to avoid a faith crisis. Faith is an emotion, a positive motivating force within the body and spirit. Depression, pain, anxiety, and doubt cannot live side-by-side with faith. They are incompatible emotional states. And so when we descend into an episode, our positive emotional state and testimony will give way to the emotional, psychological changes of depression and anxiety. This is actually very key to understanding a faith crisis. If you view faith from the perspective of emotion, then mental illness An emotion-altering illness will alter, alter your feelings of faith in negative ways. Now faith, in the Book of Alma, in the Book of Mormon, is described as hope for things which are seen, which are true. It is also described in Hebrews by Paul as the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You will note that both definitions of faith include hope as part of the definition. And hope is not an emotion associated with mental illness. In fact, quite the opposite. Hope is one of those emotions we feel least during our episodes. When we talk about evidence of things not seen, we are talking about spiritual experiences with the divine and being able to access those experiences. Those spiritual experiences require the ability to recall the feelings and emotions of that experience. When we remove those spiritual feelings from the experience memory, the experience will actually be very empty. Only pictures, facts, and figures, but no emotion. Think about one of the most impactful days of your life outside of your illness. What made it impactful was not the event or the experience. It was the emotion surrounding it. Given the propensity of mental illness to overshadow or remove our feelings of hope and spirituality, it is actually relatively easy to see how a faith crisis and mental illness are linked. Now when we talk about this faith crisis reasoning, or the reasoning that goes along with our faith crisis, or those walls we build to keep others out of our internal struggle, remember how incredibly important this reasoning is to our mind. So important that we will accept almost any reasoning to bring some peace to our mind. This reasoning generally comes in three types, and it most often comes in question form. The first is doctrinal questions, the second is historical questions, and the third is questioning the actions of others based on their inclusion as a member of the church or as a leader. Now, our reasons for our crisis will fall into at least one of these three categories and, unsurprisingly, many times we will have reasoning in all three. Because one of the main motives we build the logic and reasons in our mind is to keep the outside world at arm's length from our internal struggle, we need strong reasoning and logic. And so we tend to pick subjects for which the Church has limited information, where controversy exists, and where society will support our views. Things like historical polygamy, women in the priesthood, LGBTQ issues, tithing, word of wisdom, historical differences in recorded events, and how the church leadership has handled a personal or social issue, and of course, many other concerns. Now, I'm not stating that the issues are not real. They are very real and very real to the individual. And they are real because we feel them. Having emotional connection or attachment to our reasoning is actually important to our reasoning. Our reasoning tends not only to build these strong logic walls, but strong emotional walls, meaning that along with our reasoning, we build strong emotional connections to those reasons. That emotional connection is crucial to our reasoning because they add strength and conviction to them, and they fortify them to withstand the outward onslaught of counter-reasoning brought about by those who believe they can just change our minds. Changing a mind is a relatively easy thing to do. Changing the heart is an entirely different matter, and so we build emotional reasoning in with our logical conclusions. This building of walls is incredibly important to us, especially when we deal with mental illness and the rigors of church service and activity. The reasoning of the faith crisis is very important to us, because it provides us with a coping mechanism for our illness. Mental illness will restrict our ability to feel the spirit, our personal testimony, and those positive feelings that naturally emanate from keeping the commandments. We will be restricted from emotions such as faith, hope, charity, joy, and peace. Now I'm not saying that we won't feel them, just that they will be restricted. When our access to these positive emotions is severely restricted or diminished, and we know that we've been doing everything we can to feel those positive emotions, our mind must have a resolution as to why. That is how the mind works. If the cause and effect doesn't make sense, the mind will go to great lengths to find a reason. And, I mean great lengths. Going to church and feeling terribly emotionally causes us to need a coping mechanism. Coping mechanisms help us with this reasoning. And, as strange as it might sound, a faith crisis provides just that, a coping mechanism. When we can point to a testimony issue, we can excuse ourselves from the very activities where we would feel terrible but shouldn't, such as attending church. We can avoid all of the terrible emotional symptoms of anxiety due to the social nature of the church if we can point to the questions in our testimony. It also helps that we already feel as though we don't have access to our testimony. Once we feel, through the symptoms of mental illness, as though our testimony is waning, it is not difficult to find quote good reasons to avoid church activities and attendance. Our current society can provide a host of reasons why the church is not true and why its doctrine is not correct. Once we feel as though we do not have a testimony, these reasons can become very compelling in our minds and hearts. Now, I should note that I'm not saying that our coping mechanism is a conscious choice because most of the time it isn't. Creating coping mechanisms is rarely a conscious process where we specifically identify our problem and consciously create a solution through a specific methodology. Coping mechanisms come naturally to the mind and body, and we are unlikely to recognize most of our coping mechanisms as coping mechanisms, and this is true as well for a faith crisis. Interestingly enough, even though we don't consciously create our coping mechanisms, we do actually look for coping mechanisms in others' actions. When we feel the symptoms of mental illness, especially when we are not diagnosed, but even when we are, we look to how others have dealt or are currently dealing with their symptoms. We watch for their coping mechanisms. We then tend to imitate those with whom we feel we have a connection or similarities and who have appeared to have overcome their own problems. Most often, in the case of our reasoning and logic, we imitate those in our society who have already created those strong reasoned walls And then over time, we create emotional connections to those same reasons. Now, I noted in my earlier discussion of this sister who had her faith crisis that she felt a relief when she decided to leave the church. This is actually a common feeling for many who suffer with mental illness. Mental illness is often aggravated by the peer pressures or social pressures found in church membership. And when we remove the aggravation or the pressures and stresses of church activity, we actually feel better. Not because we decided to leave the church or to leave our testimony behind, but because we reduced the stress on the illness. The requirements to be social and to accomplish the directives of member missionary work, church teaching and leadership, meeting attendance, and the entire lot of person-to-person instruction and presentation concerns alone is enough for someone suffering with mental illness to build strong faith crisis walls. It isn't so much about the doctrine or even the history, but about socially and religious requirements that cause deep feelings of anxiety, fear, and paralysis. Now, I'm not diminishing the reality of that crisis of faith, and especially not coping mechanisms, because I can tell you that the crisis is real to those who suffer. Even if you could define the faith crisis as a coping mechanism and attempt to deconstruct these emotional walls and someone says, yes, that is what I'm experiencing, it doesn't diminish the idea that it still represents a crisis of faith. The person who is experiencing the symptoms of mental illness will not all of the sudden be able to feel their testimony and faith again, just because we define their faith crisis as a mental health coping mechanism. So we should not attempt to weaken someone's reasoning in an attempt to help them through their crisis the attempted weakening of their reasoned walls will in a sense only add to those walls. The person who is suffering is still feeling those dark, depressive, and anxiety-laden feelings. Even if we could logically deconstruct the walls, we will not be able to deconstruct the emotional reinforcement, because the brain needs the reasoning to avoid further suffering and pain. The sufferer will even accept the illogical nature of the reasoning but remain committed to it because to remove the emotional connection and reasoning would remove the coping mechanism and in so doing those terrible feelings and emotional pain would return have i experienced these face crises? yes many in my lifetime and for me looking back mental illness has always been the driving force for those moments whether or not I was willing to admit to it. But to say that my crisis was only a mental illness coping mechanism does not lessen the reality of it. Logic and reasoning is only a small part of our own personal reality. What we feel is truly our reality. Mental illness is as real as any other reason, and in some ways more so because mental illness does not always alter your logic but your emotional reality. When human beings are forced to choose between logical reasoning and emotional reasoning and reality, they will almost always choose the emotional reasoning. When we approach our testimony of the church and everything that comes with it, we do so from our emotional reality. We need to feel the truth of the doctrines, history, and principles of the church. We need to feel of it from those around us. When mental illness interrupts those feelings in deeply troubling ways, we experience a crisis. When mental illness creates anxious, negative, dark, or even contrary feelings as to those of the gospel, we can feel very much as though what we once thought to be true is no longer, and so we reach for answers in our desperation. What many do not understand who have not experienced the symptoms of mental illness is just how traumatic it is to feel depression when you should feel joy, anxiety, when you should feel peace, darkness, where you should have hope, and when living the gospel does not feel right because our illness has physiologically altered our emotional reality. How troubling it can be when you are doing everything you can to live the gospel principles but only feel listless and without desire, or when you attend church to find that you struggle to feel peace or when temple attendance doesn't provide all of the relief from our symptoms. It can be very difficult to believe in a loving God when depression and anxiety has brought us to the point of questioning whether our own life is worth living. Mental illness tends to cause us to question the very fundamentals of life, the plan of salvation, happiness, and even the spiritual nature of our existence. When our emotions fail us, we will reach for anything that helps. And for those who suffer, a faith crisis helps. I recognize that not every faith crisis is a mental health concern. I realize that it can be very difficult to see our faith crisis as a mental health coping mechanism. I still personally struggle with it. When we think faith crisis, we generally do not equate a faith crisis with the physiology and the chemistry of our body. But if we view faith as an emotion, and that our physiology and brain chemistry have significant influences on our emotions through our mental illness, it can be far easier to accept the idea that our spirituality is directly connected to our emotional health, physically and spiritually. So in the end, the real question to all of this is, if it is so difficult to view a faith crisis as a mental health coping mechanism, how do you even get there? How do you get out of a faith crisis and stay there? I will say, as long as the symptoms of mental illness remain in the body, the mind and heart will have trouble avoiding a faith crisis. So my first answer to that question is the one I always give in these podcasts and makes the most logical sense. You have to manage your mental illness. This means proper diagnosis and proper and consistent treatment and management, even when you don't feel your illness. This does not mean you will not have another faith crisis or that your illness will not produce symptoms. What this will mean is that over time, the depth and number of the faith crisis will diminish and you will have overall better spiritual health. One of the fallacies of mental health management is that if you are managing your illness, you won't have any issues. The truth is, management means that your issues will diminish and become manageable, not necessarily that you will return to normal or have no symptoms. The second answer to this question is to reduce the stresses and pressures of church membership. Living the gospel with a mental health issue is going to be very different from living the gospel without one. Yes, that is obvious, but something we should keep at the forefront of our minds. Our minds are built to compare ourselves to others in the sense of cause and effect and consequences or the blessings of our actions. We look to others' actions and the blessings or consequences of their actions to create our own. Someone with a mental health issue cannot define church activity the same way as someone who is functioning normally. If you are deep into an episode, and if all you can do is attend sacrament meeting, then that is enough for the Lord. If you can barely read two verses, then you read two verses. If your illness doesn't allow you to serve a mission, then the Lord will make up the difference. Much of the contributing stresses and pressures of the Church are caused by trying to live the gospel as though we don't have a mental illness. We need to adjust gospel activity to our current emotional difficulties. This means that we might be adjusting regularly, depending upon the frequency and depth of our episodes. Attending to meetings, activities, teaching opportunities, leadership opportunities, and truly everything we do in the gospel. Will need to be tailored to what we can accomplish without seriously aggravating our illness that will take time effort and a great deal of trial and error this doesn't mean that we can lay aside the law of chastity the word of wisdom the law of tithing and those things we do and avoid regular regularly to stay within our covenants What most individuals find is that those gospel rules or laws or covenants actually provide some good boundaries for mental illness. What we need to determine, though, is just how much interaction and social activities we can accomplish without causing a deepening of our symptoms. Now, truly, this will be an individual effort, but because I have been there, I do want to make sure that you have some additional insight to help you adjust your activity appropriately. The first thing is give yourself some mercy and space to learn. You are not going to get it right the first, the second, or the third times, or perhaps many times. It is going to take years to learn to work with your illness and church activity, and your activity might vary significantly over that time. But give yourself that time and space to learn. 2. Avoid rushing to declare your faith crisis and removing yourself from the church. Give yourself time to work through your episode and return to spiritual feelings. It will happen. It happened regularly for me. I know that it can feel as a relief to state your faith crisis and to remove yourself from activity or even membership, but the real relief you are likely seeking is a reduction in the stresses to your illness. Reduce the stress on your illness and your testimony will slowly return. 3. Take small steps in adjusting to your illness. Those feelings of despair are going to make you feel as though you are in a full crisis mode and you are going to desire to make significant adjustments in your life. Rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater, adjust your activity level in smaller steps and work to view your faith crisis as mental illness management. Finally, do your best to avoid the guilt that comes with your lack of capacity. Your lack of emotional capacity to serve and to act and to do Because of your illness is not a choice, it is a symptom, and so there should be no guilt when you have done what you can. I realize that is far easier said than done, and avoiding disappointing looks, comments, and experiences is really probably not going to be possible, even in your own family. And yes, the faith crisis might be easier in this sense, as one would expect the disappointing looks and comments when you have a faith crisis, but the truth is quite simple. The faith crisis will almost always lead us away from the doctrine, principles, and mercy of the atonement which we desperately need for our illness. Not because there is no power in the atonement, but because the atonement requires that we choose mercy. Doing our best, managing our illness through what we understand spiritually and physically, and reducing our activity to levels that better suit our illness, will lead to greater understanding, greater mercy, and greater power to overcome through the mercy and grace of the atonement that we have chosen. Now my heart goes out to those who suffer mental illness and crisis of faith. I have been where you are and have felt what you feel too many times to count in my own life. There are no adequate words to describe the experience to those who have not felt as you do, seen as you have seen, and struggle as you have struggled. They cannot understand it, but the Savior does. If you think that the Savior did not experience questions of faith and struggles with mental illness, either vicariously or personally, you do not understand the scriptures. He did descend below all and experienced every pain, illness, and struggle we have experienced in this life. He knows exactly what you need and how to help in times of faith crisis. He fully understands your illness and the crisis of faith and how to ease those burdens and strengthen your testimony. The only thing he asks is that we do not give up, that we do our part, and he assures us that he will do his. Until next week, may you find peace. Enjoy.